My name is Jesse. I'm, I'm on staff here. I'm a, I'm a deacon here. I'm actually an elder candidate, so a pastor elder candidate here at Redeemer. And my wife and I, we lead the, now the Southeast Community Group. Um, so if anyone's looking for a CG, we would love to have you. Um, but yeah, we're going to dive right in today. Uh, we live in a world where, where words matter a great deal. Words convey ideas and they have immense power. Bosses, coaches, teachers, great leaders, politicians, people leading groups and organizations, they use these words to craft great speeches. They rally people. They have good ideas. We use words to share ideas, to communicate, to write books. The Word of God, right, is written down words that we have in the 66 books that we find in the Bible. That's our scripture. And now with the internet and social media, anyone can share whatever they want, whenever they want, in all sorts of platforms, even anonymously. We live in a world where words matter and we are increasingly throwing them around more and more for better or for worse. And James understands the power and the problem of the tongue, the language from our mouth, and he understands that it's a big issue. The passage that we're going to dive in today is the single largest text in the New Testament about the mouth. It is a major section of James' letter, and so therefore it's reasonable to conclude that it's kind of a big deal. So if you remember back to James 1, 26 through 27, we get three topics on what, on what is evident from a life change, from the good news of Jesus Christ, and those are visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, keeping oneself unstained from the world, and taming the tongue. We're going to focus on the last one today. So if you'll stand with me as we read from God's word, we're in James 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, Uh, that's on page 1012 on those black ESV Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we have some outside here at the connection table, we'd love for you to have that. Here's what it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. Uh, I just thank you for everybody in this room. Uh, Now we get to gather. We get to learn and sit uh, under your teaching, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak through this text. 
I just ask that you would uh, help us to learn something today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving in this room and that uh, it would move past any of my inadequacies and that we would just uh, learn great things about you and be uh, moved farther and farther to be on mission for you. Um, And we just thank you for this day and the beautiful weather. Uh, And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, have a seat. So, as usual, I'm going to kind of lay out just the direction uh, that I want to go before we dive in. First, I'm going to talk just about the power of the tongue. Second, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the, the source of the problems that we get from that. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about the solution for dealing with it. So James starts off in classic James style with a mic drop, as I like to call it. He, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's kind of an unusual way to start off a section, in my opinion, when dealing with our tongues, but, but it's effective. He is, he is getting the attention and getting us tuned in quickly. So if we were sleeping already through, through this, this passage, or if you're sleeping already in this sermon, he's saying, wake up, because he's got something important to say. He's putting appropriate weight on the issue. And this is one of those verses that, that causes me to pause. It should cause teachers to pause, obviously, it's one that even keeps me sometimes up at night because when we step into a pulpit, it's not something that should be taken lightly. We don't take it lightly here at Redeemer because that would be foolish. It's a foolish thing to come up here and take for granted that we're opening up God's word and we're trying to speak and teach through it. We should be wary of just a flippant approach to that when someone just is trying to entertain that's a dangerous thing there's a weight and a seriousness to what we're doing so as a quick aside i think we should be we should think about praying for those who step in this pulpit because it's a hard thing to do i have to do it periodically and i have great appreciation for for a chris or people who come in here and do it week in and week out it takes a lot of work and we should be praying for our leaders who do that But anyways, this verse is also a warning to everyone. James is, is highlighting the seriousness that what comes out of your mouth is a big deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your language ought to reflect that. You have all no doubt heard the saying, sticks and stones may, will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I do not like that saying. It's cute, but I don't think it's actually true. It's a saying that we probably used as a kid to like kind of ward off bullies. We're like, yeah, you know, you can say whatever you want. Talk about my mom, whatever. You're not, it doesn't hurt me. You throw a rock at me, that'll hurt, but not that. But that's not, that's not true. I, I, have, I have a story. I've shared it before, but I, I like it. Me and my friend, one day, when I, I was 10 years old, me, and me and my friend were just arguing, and I, I stomped down the street at him, and we were, we were just going at it, and all of a sudden, we exchanged some words, and he, he cocks back and just slaps me in the face. Like, I mean, five fingers mark on my face. And I'm sure I deserved it, but when I think back to that, the slap was not the thing that hurt the most, right? In the scheme of things, the thing that hurt the most was his verbal rejection of, I hate you, and you're not my friend anymore. Words do hurt. We have all been the subject of a kind of pain that comes from a hateful word. Now, that's a, silly, that's a silly example, but what James wants us to feel is the power of what we say 
the power to hurt, but also the power to do good. But sins of the tongue, he wants to highlight, are very, very serious. For example, the first sin after the fall in Genesis 3.12, it was a sin of speech. Jesus, or Jesus, God came and said, hey, Adam, what have you done? You know? And Adam goes, it was her. It wasn't me. And then in Isaiah 6.5, when he's explaining his alienation from God, Isaiah is talking about he is distant from God. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He used it to explain his separation. Paul, when trying to, to show that the whole world is unrighteous, quotes in Psalms, quotes the Psalms in Romans 3, 13 through 14. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So we need to understand that what we see in Genesis through the prophets and Paul, and now in James, is that our mouths, what we say, what comes forth from that really shows who we are. So James is going to move in to show us how powerful these little, this little part of our body actually is. And, and he does it by, um, well, he, wa- he wants to note that the tongue is, it, it's important to note that the tongue is also not just things that come out audibly, right? It's much more than what we say out loud, what we post on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever other media there is now. The reality is that what we say out loud is really only a small fraction of what can be considered the use of the tongue. We can't think without formulating words in our heads. We have internal conversations about almost everything in order to make decisions or to plan something out. We imagine things and we are creative and we use words to describe them. We think in words. We write down in words. We have thoughts of anger and sadness in words. And those aren't always sinful at all. But the point is that there are other uses of the tongue that happen internally and they don't always come out audibly. The thoughts we have are tied to the words we speak. And even if we hold our mouth audibly, we still are using our tongue. Jesus gets at this a lot in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and he's talking about how outward issues are equated to an inward position of the heart. And even if we don't let our anger out at someone, we are still hateful, even just thinking hateful thoughts. James previously uh, in his letter has addressed this, and that there's a connection towards outward action in our inward position. The tongue seems small, but really it is where a lot of the manifestation of our sin comes through. Our words and thoughts behind those, our, our words and thoughts behind those, those words lead us to actions. James is showing us, he gives us a few pictures here. He talks about a horse, a powerful creature, right? If you've ever been on a horse, those things are beastly. And it is controlled just by a simple bit in the mouth. We also get the illustration of a ship, a huge, massive ship that is just controlled by a relatively small rudder. That's amazing. In his commentary of of James, Sam Albury, uh, he gives us a contemporary image of this. He describes one of the biggest ships in the world. It's It's a U.S. aircraft carrier called the USS Eisenhower. Here are a few of these these facts. It weighs over 91,000 tons. It's nearly 1,100 feet in length. It has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine. It carries a crew of 6,100 people and almost 100 aircraft. 
It's a floating city pretty much, and even despite all that weight and that cargo and the crew, it is still steered and controlled by a rudder that is a tenth of 1% of that whole size of the ship. I didn't do the math, but that's small. I'm trying to think of it, but it would take me forever. I don't have that type of brain. James, James says that this is the same thing with the tongue. I would be curious to know how much our tongue weighs compared to the rest of our body. It's a small member, but it boasts of great things, James says. Now, at this point, uh, we, we can come to the conclusion that, yes, the tongue is powerful, and it can be used for both good and for bad, but James wants, wants us to understand that we should not lie to ourselves and think that, the, that our tongue by nature is good. So he continues to describe the destructive power. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I like the image of, of the forest fire because uh, think of a forest fire that's been blazing. Have you ever seen one of those, right? I mean, those things get massive and it's all started by one spark. One tiny spark and acres and acres of land get consumed by flames and smoke. James says the tongue is a fire. It has the ability to unleash all sorts of havoc and trouble. A little word, hurtful word here, a lie here and there. Those spread and get amplified and impact things to a great extent. Stuff that, that we can't even imagine. The tongue is involved in all of the thoughts and the desires and the plans behind all of our life, and it leaves its mark everywhere. It's untamable. James then plops us into the zoo for some reason, and he says, we've learned to tame every kind of beast. We can tame lions and elephants, but we can't keep rain on our tongues. It's a restless evil, and it's filled with deadly poison. He moves on and says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So with our mouths we bless God. We come here, we sing songs, we thank God for sending Jesus to live the life we couldn't, die the death we deserve, and the fact that he rose again and he's going to come back and make all things new. We glorify him for that, for being our risen king, but we turn right around to our human family, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we got no problem defaming or hurting or criticizing, making innuendos to people, even though they bear the image of God. From our mouths come blessing and cursing, and James says, this ought not to be so. And I think that this in James is as much a rebuke as it is a plea. He's not just telling us, hey, don't do it. He's begging us that it isn't right. It intrinsically is not right. It literally means it is in no way right. No way right. Sorry. 
We have been shown that the power of the tongue here, it's dangerous. We're given a ton of examples and illustrations to see that there are, there are dangers that follow from a reckless usage of the tongue. We have all been subject to pains and hurts, I'm sure. I'm sure we all have been. And we have no doubt been those who have hurt others. We have blessed God, but turned around and hurt those who have been made in the image of God. James tells us that we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble, he is a perfect man able to also bridle the whole body. By perfect, he means that a person has attained the fullness and the spiritual maturity that we will have one day if you're a believer in Christ. And James has shown us that a huge evidence of this spiritual maturity is the ability to have control on your tongue. So this begs the question, how do we tame it? It seems like it's an impossible thing to do. In order to answer this question, we have to understand the source of the sins of the tongue. Verse 11 and 12 says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So like the rest of the letter, James, he, he does not just list out a laundry list of things to do, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, do all, do all these things and leave us there. That's a huge temptation in a practical letter. Because we can get to the end of the section and go, all right, I got it. I'm going to keep my tongue in check. And James tells you, no, you're not. You cannot do it. James shows us that the issue is an issue of the heart. The words of the mouth, the thoughts in our head are going to correlate to the position of our heart. He shows us that a spring, a fresh spring, cannot pour forth, or a a spring can't give out both fresh and salt water. And plants that have been created to have certain types of fruit can't give off other types of fruit. Imagine how odd it would be if you walked down the street, you saw an apple tree, and pumpkins were falling from it. That's just not right. James wants us to know that a heart that has been gripped by the grace of God should not produce harmful products of the mouth. It gives off the wrong picture of that grace. A fresh spring should produce fresh water. A salt water source will produce salt water. A fig tree is going to produce figs. An olive tree will produce olives. Grapevines produce grapes. A bitter heart produces bitterness. And a critical heart produces critique. Unloving and degrading thought and speech comes from somebody who's foreign to the love of Christ. So don't just hear condemnation in this. I know that that's, I'm just like up here throwing it down, like James says, you're bad, and get out of here. I had to do that because, you know, I'm sorry. I snuck my shorts up onto stage today. I feel, I feel a little rebellious, but I had, to, I had to kick my leg at some point. Anyways, I'm sorry. Distraction. I don't want you to hear condemnation, okay? <laughs> Once you accept Christ as your Lord, you're not going to be perfect. You don't just change. You're justified. You're not fully sanctified. You can not, you will not perfectly bridle your tongue when you leave here. What we have to do is rest in the gospel 
of Jesus Christ and know that only in the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives can our hearts pour forth streams of God-glorifying, God-exalting, God-honoring speech. So the solution is the gospel. A changed heart that rests in truth in the truth and the reality of the finished work of Christ, his perfect life, his death for our sins, and his resurrection and eventual renewal of all things are what we rest in. Only in this can we even start to think about the practical application of this passage. So in Genesis we saw the first outworking of sin from the abuse of the tongue. But in a beautiful, beautiful act, Jesus came as the word of God to renew us to God. And then in Acts 2, we realize we're not left alone, right? We see that God pours out his Holy Spirit and the mighty works of God were proclaimed to many people. I think we forget sometimes about the Holy Spirit. You know, it's something that it's easy, at least I do. I neglect to think about it a lot. But in Acts 2, I'm going to read it real quick this section because I like it and I think that it gives a good power of a, a, a tongue that is on fire for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says this, And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. God is working the renewal of all things right now, and we need to understand that the power that filled the believers in Acts has filled us if you're in Christ. And it's at work among us today. The redemption of all things, including our tongues, is happening. If you have put your faith in Christ, you need to recognize that you're a conduit of this work. So once we rest in the gospel and we understand the power and the spirit, we can then get into some of the really practical applications. The first thing we need to do is repent. We have to repent of the ways in which we fall short in our speech, and in our thoughts towards each other, this is something that I, that if I'm being serious, I, I have lots of room, lots of room to grow. You know, I've been convicted. You don't, just re, you don't just read any section of James and really study it and walk out of there going, man, I got that pretty good. I mean, it's hard really to even feel adequate to get up here in front of you all because I'm like, I, I'm not special. And that's why I'm thankful for what Christ has done and the power and the spirit that we have because I don't have to worry about me. We don't like to be weak and vulnerable, but we must be. We have to use our tongues to repent. We have to find brothers and sisters in Christ. 
you're in a CG, you need to grab a guy or two if you're a guy, and if you're a woman, a woman or two, and you all need to start fighting sin. We have to be vulnerable, bring the sin into the light, and crush it. Spouses doing it with spouses, modeling that to our kids. And then everyone can point one another back to Jesus and remind them that their identity is rooted in Christ and it's not in their sin. We have to be serious about sin. Some of the most dangerous times in my life have been when I retreat from community or when I just approach it apathetically. You know, I just kind of go through the motions. It's easy, too, when you're on staff because it's just what you do. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I just show up, set up some tables. Chris is going to bring it. Nathan plays great music. It's hard, and it's dangerous. I start to justify my sin in that. And I sink back, and I become self-sufficient. It's hard to admit our faults. We have to do it. It's loving to do it. It's loving to call one another out in love. And say, hey, I don't want you to sit and wallow in that sin. God has given us one another to encourage us. We see it in Ephesians 4. We're supposed to build each other up. That is our purpose here. And the beautiful thing is, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a new creation, and you are forgiven. So you're free from the shame and the guilt and the fear that would come with being known and open about your faults. So glorifying God with our tongues starts with the recognition of our position and repenting of our sin and moving forward in the power of what Christ has done. This leads us just to our final few practical things that we get for taming the tongue. Once we're serious about repenting of our sin and resting in this finished work, we can be, feel to, we can be free to feel and think and act and speak in love towards others. This type of maturity doesn't mean we just abstain from saying certain things, right? We probably should reevaluate some of the things that we allow to come out of our mouths. I'm guilty of this. There are, there are like just jokes and little minor things that, that are simple that I need to evaluate and just be like, you know what? That's not God honoring at all. Does it really glorify God that I even give that the time of day? And I'm not saying we have to just be legalistic, but the reality is, is people are watching us. I mean, Part of, I think part of what James is getting at when he's talking about the salt and the freshwater mixing is what does that look like when they're mixed? It doesn't make sense. What does that do for our mission of sharing Jesus with others? I was thinking about the example of when I see a glass of Coke over there and I go over and I drink it and I'm like, it's unsweet tea. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. It looks good, but it isn't. So that's one aspect of, of spiritual maturity in the tongue. Another aspect means not abstaining from saying certain things. Not abstaining from saying things that ought to be said, because it's easy to think of the things like, oh yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to do that. But we also, if we take a minute, can think of the times where we wish we had said something. Times where a kind word would have gone a long way, but it felt a little awkward. Or times when a gentle, loving rebuke would have really helped. We should be distinct in the way we talk to one another and to others. So we've got to be on guard against the ways that we tear each other down. 
Because not only is it just massively destructive to the person, it really just it robs God of his glory. So spiritual maturity, it's evident in the taming of our tongue. In order to do this, we have to realize our sinful position and that we need God desperately. Whether you are just now starting to follow Jesus, or you have been for a long time, or you're still not really sure what to make of any of this stuff, you still need him desperately. The use of your tongue and the thoughts coinciding with that are evidence of this fact. You cannot and you will not be able to tame it perfectly apart from the intervention of God working in your heart. So if you're here today and you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've submitted to his rule in your life, then remember you're a new creation. You do not have to live legalistically trying your best to not create fires with your tongue. You cannot do it on your own rest in knowing that and let that empower you to use your words to his glory and to the furthering of his mission. If you don't know Jesus, then I, I, I plead with you to, to consider just giving your life to him. It's the only way you will be free from the strongholds of sin in your life. So let's resolve to be a people here that point each other back point each other back to the good news that we have in Jesus. Let's build one another up, and let's take that uh, very, very seriously in, in the ways that we fight sin with one another. Let's pray that we see the redemption of, of God in this city, right? And, and let that move us to say with the psalmist in Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we're going to move now into our time of communion. Uh, this is a time here where we, we reflect on what Christ did for us on the cross. It's a symbol. It's a symbol that represents, the bread represents Christ's body that was broken for us and the juice or the wine represents his blood that was shed for us. This is a time for believers to come forward and uh, to partake in this, in this meal. And if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, then it's a time for you to do so. We're going to have pastors right out here outside in the gym and prayer responders that would love to talk with you about that or just pray with you in general. And if you need prayer for anything, please take advantage of that. We've got a whole group of people out there that just want to pray with you and for you. So we, we take communion here by coming up, tearing off a piece of bread, dipping it into the juice or wine. Remember my little thing over here, if it gets congested, just slide through. You can nudge people to the side. We don't think that's mean. Uh, we also have gluten, gluten-free up here to, to take. And uh, the, the wine is on the glasses marked with the twine. Yeah, so let's pray. Father God, I want to I thank you for this day, Lord. Um, again, just being able to come here uh, and to talk about you, to learn about you, Lord, is a glorious, honoring thing, Father. And I just, uh, I pray that you would work in the hearts of, of everyone here, Lord, to rest in the power of the finished work of Christ on the cross, and his resurrection, Lord, and help that to move us uh, to have hearts that are honoring to you, to have speech that is honoring to you, 
I pray that you would help us to lift one another up, not tear each other down. And I pray, God, that you would help us to recognize that your Holy Spirit is still working 2,000 years later and building his kingdom, and it's not us, but it is you that does the work. I pray that you help us to approach one another humbly and graciously. And all these things we pray, Lord, are in your Son's name. Amen.